We are wrapping up our mission month, and, uh, and I'm excited because uh, the missionaries that we have, David is actually from this area, Apple Hill. So some of you guys know, uh, some of the people in first service were his uh, uh, Royal Ranger leaders, so I thought that was kind of cool when he was growing up. Can we give them a big hand as they come? Thank you, Pastor. It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Let my wife uh, share. This is Amy, my beautiful wife. She makes everything beautiful, uh, makes everything I do better, right? Um, So uh, she wants to share about her family. (laughs) It's really good to be back. This is our third time up here. We started out as missionaries about 11 years ago, and um, our very first time we looked like on the picture on the back wall, I have a pink sweater on, and then this was the second time. So you can see, like, we lost two of our team members. They're now in college. And so when we were here last time, they were probably, um, I don't remember. Now they're 21 and 18. And so they're both at um, college. And they both loved Costa Rica. Actually, I got a FaceTime from them this morning. They're like, where are you guys at? So they're missing being part of us as well. So they said to say hello. Um, They grew up in Costa Rica and graduated there. And and now it's going to be interesting to see what God has for them. Maggie, our oldest, is going to be, um, she's in nursing school, and then our youngest is going to study um, science, biochemistry, so we'll see what God has for both of them. But thank you guys so much for being with us on all these journeys that we're on. Man, so the next picture is them all grown up, yeah. So that's our current prayer card. We have, we have them on the uh, center out there. We'd love for you to grab uh, one of our prayer cards so that you can remember to pray for us. Um, that's what change is saying is, is prayer. So, yeah, so things have changed from that picture back there where we have a uh, six and nine-year-old to uh, 18 and 21-year-old. So um, we, we come to you in chunks, so things jump as, as we um, come. But we're so grateful that you guys have been a part of our journey from the beginning, from that little picture back there when we had no idea what we're doing till now where we still don't have any idea what we're doing, but we've done a lot of stuff. But uh, one thing that, you know, I wanted to share is that, you know, it, it's, it's amazing that you guys sent us, right? Because you invested us when we were telling you what we thought we would do, and we had no idea really what God had in, in store for us, and you've supported us all along. It's one thing to send us, it's one thing for us to go, but it's a whole other thing for uh, you guys to keep us there and for us to stay, because it's through time that God opens doors and does greater and greater things. And so for maintaining us and keeping us, giving us the opportunities to be where God wants us to be and do what he wants to do has been incredible. And I want, you know, I I want to encourage you guys, um, you know, you have a wall of people back there, but I I see some some, some empty sleeves that pastor would love to be able to support all, you know, more and more missionaries in these countries that you have on your wall to make a greater and greater impact. But we just want to thank you for your support in keeping us there. You guys sent us out. Our our passion, our desire was to reach the unreached indigenous people groups, the people people that lived in Costa Rica before Columbus showed up. There's eight different groups of people in Costa Rica. And that's what we did uh, for our first several years, our first, and then we went back this last term working with indigenous groups way up in the mountains 
Uh, many of them still live as they did centuries ago with without running water or cooking over wood fires, um, living in little tiny wood shacks. And we, you know, we had great opportunities to open up new communities that uh, that the church hadn't had access to in a long time. We we had a lot of great teams that came, and we did medical teams that we were able to bring uh, medical into the communities that did not have access to medical or dental. Uh, we then be, had the opportunity to build relationship with the the small local pastors in those communities, and we. We used uh, community development tools to help the pastors learn how to better reach their communities and serve their communities so they can uh, reach outside the walls of their church and evangelize and, and church plant. And one of those uh, pastors was Pastor Juan. I don't know if the next slide. Uh, this is one of our the medical team's uh, outreaches that we did. This is the, the Novi people groups. On the next slide, our daughters. That's a, where Maggie got her desire and her passion for for nursing. Uh, both Amy and I are, are nurses as well. Um, and then the final slide here, after years and years of working in, our, in the community, uh, the, the pastor and the, the shorter pastor in the middle with the green, green shirt, his name is Pastor Juan, we'd invested in their community and we finally got an opportunity to build this this church that you see behind, behind us because he wanted to reach out into the deeper part of the community way up in the mountains and so we hauled stuff way up in the mountain and almost lost our our vehicle sliding off the mountain when it rains after we got the building built we we realized this this pastor he's he's in his uh, later 60s now he's got diabetes so he's got neuropathy in his feet he can he can barely walk he's got cataracts in both eyes and so he's legally blind and he can't even walk up to this building to plant the church and so we started looking around and to see who we can you know raise up as pastor and and there was nobody ready there were no leaders available to go pastor this building and without a pastor without a to pastor church a a building is just a building right and so when when that became obvious to us I began to look at what it is that we were doing you know I'd, we'd we invested so much time and energy and and money in these indigenous communities and I had to step back and ask what what was I what what I was doing was it enough and it wasn't because I hadn't raised up leaders and we have a different role as, as missionaries now the national church we've had our you know our pioneer missionaries and you know, maybe that might be what you picture as missionary in your head of the guy with machete hacking his way through a jungle, dragging his coffin behind him because he's not going to leave, and you know, planting a church and starting from scratch. And well, that's not our role as missionaries anymore. Our pioneer missionaries have gone before us in Costa Rica and other countries all around the world, and they've hacked through the jungle and started and developed the national church. Our role now is to equip that church to be more effective. And that's what we were trying to do, equip these small fledgling churches out in the middle of nowhere and indigenous communities to be more effective and grow. But to do that, we need leaders. And this morning, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell myself a little bit. I'm going to make this so that you guys can see that 
you know, missionaries and pastors do not get some dispensation or a, 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 a card that eliminates them from failure or from being imperfect. Um, so I'm going to share some, some reality from our experience, but I'm also going to challenge you guys this morning because I want you guys to, to leave this place changed. The, the Word of God is, I'm going to make it very simple because it can, it can seem really complex in the stories. And I'm, not a, I'm not a theologian, so my sermon this morning is not going to be some deep, hard-to-understand thing. It's going to be very simple. The Word of God is, is, is God's story to us. He explains that He created us to have fellowship with Him. That's, you know, start off, you read the Bible, that's what it was about. He created us to have fellowship with, with Him. He wanted us to be with Him. And then we sinned and we broke that relationship so that we can no longer be in relationship with Him. So the rest of the Old Testament is God preparing His people so that he can send the answer to sin, who was to be Jesus. And the rest of the New Testament is Jesus showing us what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be a son of God. And then them giving us instructions as to who, who we are as the church. So in a nutshell, it's way more complicated than that. I mean, there's a lot more depth to the Word of God than that. Way more depth. But that's it. That's what the Bible is. It's a story of us and how we're supposed to relate and have relationship with God the Father. And what I want you guys to go away with this morning is to understanding that you are the church. It's not, it's not this group of people. This group of people is not what the church is. It's not this building. It's not the denomination that we are part of. It's not this building. It's you as an individual. You are the body of Christ. You are the church. And when God, when Jesus speaks to us as the church, He's speaking to each one of us individually. And He made it real simple what our, what our job is as the church, as individuals, as Christians. <clears throat> and if this is going to be a reminder to you uh, I'm sure all of you should know this and have heard this. But here's a reminder. This is what we are supposed to be about, about doing. Matthew 28, 18-19. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that's what I, as a missionary, am supposed to be about. Going and making disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who is maturing in their faith and their relationship with Jesus and the Father. It's that simple. Everybody is on a journey of discipleship. We're just in a different place. All the people that you surround them, you see that you know, they're completely as far away from God as possible. They're on a journey to know the Father. And we have to see people from that regard. But my problem, and I don't think I'm unique, is that I get distracted from what my one job is as a Christian. 
I let everything in the world around me distract me. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, to not let, allow ourselves to be distracted. Let's pray. Father God, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you so much for what it is you want to do in our lives, what you want to speak to us, and how you want to change us through your word, Lord. And we just open ourselves to be changed by you this morning. Speak to our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'll give you an example of what distraction is. I don't know about you, okay. So, when I, you know, we served in youth in Jonah's ministry for many years. I was last a youth pastor in Folsom. Um, our, girls, our girls were both born in Folsom when we were living here in Cameron Park. Um, but then I, I felt called to go back to school to get my, my nursing license. Amy and I have both, since we were young, felt called to missions, and I felt like this was something that God was wanting to add to my understanding before he took us to, you know, to the mission field. Um, so we, I went back to school full-time to do that. We went back to South Carolina where her family was to help us with the girls. And Amy went back to work full-time. Um, and she went back to school at, or back to work at doing the night shift so that we didn't have to have child care so that she could come home. I can go to school. <clears throat> but one of my jobs, really my, my only job, was to make sure that Maggie, who was five at the time, I got her to school in the morning. Yeah. So one of those mornings, I got up early to study. You know, nursing, nursing school is it's hard. So I got up early to study, and I was fully engrossed in studying. And Amy got home, and she asked me, you know, how, how things went that morning, getting Maggie off to school. I don't know if you guys ever have had that experience when your wife asked you something, and you're trying to process it, and you're just kind of looking at her like, I know there's something that I'm supposed to know that's going on in this moment, but it's just that look. I'm like, oh. And I'm like, what time is it? You know, she's still asleep in bed. She's supposed to be at school. Yeah, Amy wasn't happy, but listen, she taught her how to, how to read before she ever went to kindergarten. She already learned everything that she was going to learn in kindergarten, so she didn't really miss out on much that day, I promise you. <laughs> and as you see, she's doing fine. She's in nursing school. She's smart, so it's Okay. But I was distracted that morning with what I was doing. It was important. I was studying. But I had one job. One job to get Maggie to school. Totally distracted. So, when I, you know, we came to this realization that I needed to develop leaders in the indigenous communities. And how am I going to do that? So it sent me on this journey of how to develop leaders. And it you know, it got to the point where we realized that we were going to need to open a residential Bible school. Uh, Costa Rica has a Bible school system, but, you know, it started out in the 70s as a residential Bible school. And then about 25 years ago, the residential part was closed and it became like a night and weekend school that had, gave more access to people around the country. But it wasn't a, a tool that I was going to be able to take in the indigenous communities because I needed to have teachers that were willing to come way into the middle of nowhere and they, I didn't have teachers anywhere near me that were going to be willing to do that or I was going to have to ask them to go outside of the community um, and you know on a night and weekend basis and for them the transportation was impossible. And so 
I was going to have to develop a tool where I can take them out and teach them full time and then bring them back and help them plant churches. And that tool just wasn't available. In fact, it hadn't been available for 25 years. And, uh, you know, we, we served with pastors that, you know, we've been working with them for 10 years. They were already been pastoring for 10 years when we got there. And they've been in Bible school the whole time. And they still have not graduated from Bible school. And they've been pastoring for 20 years. And I don't know about your kids, but if my girls looked at a 15, 20-year path to graduate from Bible school, they're going to go find something else to do. And that's what happened in, in Costa Rica. The, we lost 20 years, two, gen, two entire generations of young people that God may have called to the ministry, but there was no tool to, to train them, and we lost them. So that's why we were creating this, this tool Residential Bible School, that's a full-time school, three years intensive program so that we can reach and reestablish and re-engage the young people of Costa Rica for the next generation of leaders and pastors and missionaries for Costa Rica. But the enemy wanted to distract us the whole time from what it was we were doing, right? And what I've found is that you know, we talk about the enemy and how he wants to crush us and defeat us, and that may all be true, but he doesn't even have to defeat us. Because we only have, you know, one job, right? To raise up disciples. But we get distracted. And if the enemy can distract us, it's as if we're defeated. Because if we're not doing what the one thing that we're supposed to be doing, it doesn't matter what else we're doing, we're not accomplishing but God has put us here as, for the church. So, I'm, I'm, like I said earlier, you know, Scripture, boil it down, real simple. So, Christ gave us two things that we're supposed to be about as Christians. First, we call it the golden rule. It's in Matthew 28, 36 through 40, and this is, I don't have the same version uh, that I'm reading here as what's on the screen, but it doesn't matter. Um, says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets, prophets are based on these two commandments. So Jesus boils down who we're supposed to be, just like I did with the he makes it really simple for us. Love the Father with everything that you are. Everything that we are, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, is supposed to be about having a relationship with God the Father. And then he said, the other thing is love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. Very simple. Jesus like like all of the rules and regulations that the prophets had set up, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it was so complicated to be a Jew in those days. And you, there's nobody that could possibly accomplish uh, living within the law. It was impossible. It's impossible for any of us. But, so Jesus said, rule one, love God. Rule two, love your neighbor. So he said, love God. And love people. What does it mean to love? 
What does that even mean to us? Philippians 2, 1 through 8. This is how it reads. This, this is the explanation of what love, when Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor. This is what he means. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. This is, this is Paul speaking to the church, us. He wasn't talking to the world. He was talking to us, the church. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Your relationships with one another, or in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. It's a little bit different than what it says, there's something to be grasped. But this, this virgin, I thought, I loved how it said that, did not consider it something uh, to use for his own uh, advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as man, he humbled himself <clears throat> by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If Jesus, Jesus is the example of, of who we are supposed to be. We call ourselves Christians, Christ-like. We are Jesus followers. That is who we are. That is our identity, to be like Jesus. And if Jesus, who had all the authority of God himself, did not consider that something to take advantage of, who are we to take advantage of the authority and freedoms that God has given us? Can we not humble ourselves by putting aside our things that we call, uh, you know, things that we value, but really are dirty rags, and put them aside to reach and love people? I don't know about you, but I have seen myself and the church struggle these last four, five years doing that so here's the first distraction the first distraction is we can't even get out of our own way a lot of the times we create our own problems we create we destroy our own testimonies we we make it impossible for us to even have conversations with people so that we can love them we do that and we call it freedom we call it, your church is freedom church we use that word freedom. But what does that mean? As Americans, we enjoy incredible freedoms. I don't know if you're watching what's going on in the world. But we are blessed. I am so thankful to be an American. But we have allowed ourselves to be distracted by our own freedoms to the point where we have... Uh, ostracized ourselves from people in our own community, our own circle, our own family because of our own understanding of what our personal freedoms are. Jesus, Jesus said it's simple. Love God, love people. The second thing he said was that 
that's who we were supposed to be. What are we supposed to do? We read it earlier, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He said, go make disciples. So we were supposed to be like Christ. That's who we're supposed to be. And how we're supposed to relate to God, love God, love people. He said, out of that, we're supposed to do something here. We're supposed to be active as the church. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go and make disciples. So num- number one, our first distraction of that's eliminating us or stopping us from becoming disciples or from making disciples is our own self, our own freedoms. But Paul goes on to help us understand what freedom means, why you have the name freedom, church. Because we're not talking about freedoms that we enjoy in the States, you know, freedom of speech, all the rest of them. This is what Freedom Church is about. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22, Paul spoke of being free. Even though he was a Jew, right? Jews were under the authority of Rome at the time. They did not, they did not enjoy freedom like we enjoy freedom. Yet Paul spoke of, spoke of freedom, and this is what he said. Paul said, though I am free and belong to no one, I have my, made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Slavery was a reality in Paul's time. Praise Jesus that we do not have slavery in our nation today. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one, like one under the law, though I, am, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but are in, un, am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. We cannot let the enemy distract us today because of what we think or believe. We cannot let allow ourselves to be eliminated from helping people in their journey of discipleship, of knowing who Jesus is, simply because we have a difference of opinion on what freedom looks like. I'm afraid that this is what, you know, our version that would be much different of how we're living and our freedom. So do not let the enemy distract you by your own self, your own beliefs, your own, because the one thing that we are supposed to be about as Christians is to love God, love people, and make disciples. That's where it's supposed to be our center. The rest of it, it's just a blessing of God that we get to live in such a free country. And I'm, believe me, I don't, I, I understand about protecting freedoms. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not saying that you can't do those things and, and have opinions. There's important things that we fight for. 
But we can't allow it to be a distraction that eliminates us from discipling people from all parts. Uh, Paul said, I am all things to all people so that I might win some. That's why we lay those things aside so that we can love people and make disciples. So number one, don't let ourselves distract from the, the, for the purpose, the, the one thing that we're supposed to do. Second is, we, we can't let the busyness, busy, busyness of life distract us. Give you an example. You know, we started the, this Bible school. I, I think, you, you know, we had the privilege of uh, starting this Bible school. There's, we had 14 students that we started the Bible school with. It was the youngest uh, Bible school class in 25 years in Costa Rica. So this is a, the group that God gave us. We, we worked hard on, uh, we uh, were building children's classrooms at a, at a church. And when God was walking us through this thing where we realized that we needed to open a Bible school, we adapted our plans. We uh, adapted it so that we could make it a small campus for a residential Bible school. And we stuffed these 14 kids in this little tiny campus. We used classrooms as dorm rooms. And uh, it was a beautiful little tiny facility, but they packed it out. We maxed them out with these 14 students. But when they showed up on campus, like I, I still hadn't finished the showers. I still hadn't, I didn't have the laundry facilities ready. Everything was still in process. But we just, we had to start. Because, you know, I'm, I'm on a uh, itineration cycle. I only had two years left before I had to leave. And I, so I, we had to, we had to get it going so that we could accomplish what we needed to accomplish before I had to come home so I can be with you guys now. Um, and we started in January of 2020. 14 excited students in this new, new program designed just for them. I had discipleship and chapels and all this great mentorship that we were going to do. But when they got on campus, I had all these other things that were st I still had to do. I mean, I had to get them showers because they stunk after a couple days, right? <laughs> they wanted, for some reason, w washing machines to wash their clothes. I don't know. It was so important to them for some reason. So I had all these things that I had to do. And I let all those things override the things that were important to me, the reason why I brought students on campus, right, which was to really... Iron sharpens iron, discipleship, get in there and help mold these leaders to become the next generation of amazing leaders. But all these other things that I had to do, I put all that aside so that I could finish these tasks. And they were important. We all have things that are important. The busyness of life isn't because it's just stuff. It's things that we have to do. But then COVID happened, March so we started in January, things were going great, March, COVID, I had to send them all home. I no longer had them on campus to do all the things that we had designed to do. I'd wasted three months fixing showers and lost my opportunity to pour into discipleship and mentorship into these kids. And how often do you guys allow work, which is important, distract you from the one job that you have? Distract you from raising your kids. Discipling your own kids. Distract you from being part 
of what the church needs you to be as part of the local community so that you guys as a church can disciple people in this community. So I, I let the busyness distract me. We all do that. So don't let the enemy distract you from your own, by your own self. Don't let him distract you with the busyness. And third, don't let him distract you with the drama of life. I don't know about you guys. I don't know what stage of life your kids are in. But 18 to 26-year-olds have a lot of drama in their life. And when you put 14 of them together on a campus that never knew, them, knew each other before, and you put guys that love Jesus in dorms with girls that love Jesus that they didn't know, it creates some drama. And man, I, I was not, listen, I did not go to Costa Rica with any intention of having anything to do with a Bible school, let alone open one. I say that God bait and switched me. I thought I was going to Costa Rica for one thing, and he had a totally different purpose for me. And I was not equipped to be the director of a Bible school and the drama of having students on campus. I thought, you know, because my girls, they were easy. They were great. They followed the rules. Not, you know, not perfectly, but, you know, for the most part, they were easy girls. They were the girls that started the Bible school on their campus, and Maggie did, it was amazing. And these kids, I thought, you know, they love Jesus. They are called to be full-time. I, and you give them a set of rules, and you think, oh, they're fault of them. They don't. They don't follow the rules. And after a few weeks on campus, the dorm life, you know, having somebody in your room that you didn't know, and it was all fun and games for the first few weeks, but then, you know, after six weeks, everything changes. There's conflicts, and I, again, I let myself be distracted, putting out the fires of drama on campus, and let my self be distracted from the one thing that I was trying to do because we did get to bring them back on campus like in November. Again, I was more distracted by putting out fires and helping mend relationships than I was discipling because I wasn't equipped for that. And we do the same thing with all the voices and the drama that's happening in society around us. We become involved and distracted by all these other things. And the enemy just wants to create distractions and fireworks so that we are looking at all the stuff going on around us and not focused on the one thing that God's asked us to do, which is make disciples, love God, love people, make disciples. And finally, the last distraction that I don't want you guys to let the enemy distract you with is failure. Let me assure you that I was not given a, uh, eliminated from failure because I was asked to be a missionary. I have failed more often than I've succeeded, but that's how God has grown me. When we started this, this school, I had all, like I said, I had, all this, I had this great uh, two-year plan drawn out with all this discipleship and uh, 
camps and spiritual retreats and and all this amazing stuff that was going to be part of what this Bible school is going to be about. COVID eliminated most of it. The busyness I allowed to eliminate another chunk of it. Drama took out another part of it. And by the end of a year and a half, I began to really feel like I had completely failed in what it was that God wanted me to do by starting this Bible school. Because I had drawn up this plan and I hadn't accomplished the plan that I had set out to accomplish. But my fellow colleagues, other missionaries that had been on the field much longer than myself, said, wait a minute, David. Aren't you stop and step back and see what God did with this group of young people? In December of this year, we got to graduate 14 students. It was the youngest graduating class in Costa Rica in over 25 years. These students are going to go on and be leaders and change Costa Rica, not because of my plan, but because God had a plan and a purpose, and he wanted to raise up a new generation of leaders. And it wasn't perfect. And I'm, I, I learned what to do by failure more than I, I've failed more than I've succeeded. But we're going to improve the next time. We're going to change things. We're going to do it differently so that we're able to do the things that I believe that God wants us to do with these students. But we didn't fail. We accomplished something that hadn't been done in Costa Rica for 25 years. The enemy wants to distract us because we fail. We fail in our own lives. We fail meeting up the standards of Scripture. We fail to love God. We fail to love our neighbor. And we fail to make disciples. And because we fail in doing those things, the enemy says, you have no place thinking that you can disciple anybody. Look at how much of a shamble your own life is. But that's not the truth. The truth is that all of us are in a process of discipleship, and all of us are put in a a sphere of influence of people around us. And God has asked us, as the church, to disciple the people that he's put us around. He's asked us to disciple our own families. He's asked us to disciple our co-workers, our friends, our neighbors. He's asked you to be a part of your own community and the things that the church serves in, in, in uh, recovery programs and uh, pregnancy centers. And, you know, we can be so angry at the laws, the abortion laws in this country. We can go and we can shout at people that, that want to defend abortion rights because that's so much easier to be angry and to shout and, and to love pregnant teens. So much easier than to go into inner city communities and help teach people how to parent their children and break a cycle. It's so much easier to be angry 
than to invest our lives in people so that things change. When did we give over our job as the church to the U.S. government and their laws? We have never been prevented from loving people as the church. We have never been able, we've never been prevented from loving people out of brokenness and helping them make decisions. But we have given that over to our government. That's our fault. Don't blame the laws. Don't blame people. Blame us. God's asked us to be the ones that disciple people and bring people out of brokenness. We cannot afford to allow the enemy to distract us. We can continue to let him distract us by all the problems, difficulties, our own shortcomings and our failures, the immenseness, the immenseness of the task and our own inability to personally accomplish it. We can become overwhelmed with how small we feel and the immenseness of the problem. Or we can let the enemy eliminate us because of the absurdity of the dream God has given us, the immenseness of it, or even with the blown up, blown up importance that we place in our own lives and our own freedoms. I can tell you this. It would be easier for Amy and I to say, forget it. We came back burnt out and broken after trying to accomplish something that was so much bigger than us. It would be so easy for us just to say, we're going back to the States. Our girls are in college. Let's just go back, be nurses, get a good salary, buy a nice house, go on nice vacations. Worry about us, the things that are important to us. But we've said no. We're going to do the hard thing. We're going to go back. We're going to face our own failures. And we're going to fix them and make them better. We're going to go back because God has not... He did something with 14 students, but that's not his end game. That's his beginning. He's asked us to go back and expand the the vision, not shrink it. To move forward into the absurdity of the dream that he's given us, the vision that he's given us for Costa Rica and developing leaders. Because it is absurd, because I I can't accomplish it. It's so much bigger than me. We're not going to let the enemy win this battle simply because we gave up. We will fight to restore three generations of, of lost young leaders. To restore the health of the leadership of the National Church of Costa Rica. And restore the church to relevance and to a passion to reach the lost in their own country. We believe revival will once again come to Costa Rica. And we believe that this school is key to that. But what will you do? What will you do here in your own home? home in your own hometown? Are you going to let the enemy continue to eliminate you from the battle because it's hard? Because you fail? 
we're just one of the places that you guys support. Costa Rica is just one of them. You have a wall back there of places. You have countries plastered all over your walls where you may not be yet. But I can, I can tell you that in our case, we're moving forward. And we're glad that you guys are part of that. We believe that what we're doing is vital to the future of the church in Costa Rica. To develop a new generation of passionate young leaders that are well equipped to bring revival to Costa Rica. Not only to Costa Rica as missionaries around the world. We're not the only ones that send missionaries. You know that? We believe that many of these kids feel called to missions. And we believe that one day we're going to see them in nations around the world. But that's why we're here. We're here to share with you what you guys have been a part of. Because, yeah, it's David and Amy in Costa Rica. But we are part of your staff. We are part of your church. We are an extension of your ministries. So you guys did this. This is what you guys have been involved in. You guys kept us there through COVID. The funds that you send us help us scholarship these kids when they didn't have any money because COVID eliminated their parents' jobs. You guys helped us graduate this group of students. But now I'm asking you to be part of the absurdity of what God's asking us to do. That's to build a permanent campus for this school. I think the next picture shows... Uh, this is a, a rendition of a dormant. It's not, it doesn't exist. It's just a computer generated. But that's what it's going to look like. Each one of these beds, space for one student, is going to cost us $20,000 to build. It's not going to be for one, you know, it's only one student. Obviously, it's going to be the room that we're going to raise leaders in year after year after year. But to build that, it's going to cost us $20,000. The next one shows rendition of the, of the building, how it's going to look. We're not building a huge, giant campus. We're building an elite training center where we can bring in 20 students a year, pour in intensively and discipleship in them. And more than that, this campus, we've been given a, an amazing piece of property in Costa Rica, 80 acres that we would never have been able to purchase. But we're going to create businesses along with this Bible school where our students will work 15 hours a week each. And those businesses will generate the funds needed so that whether they're an indigenous student from the furthest reaches of the mountains of Costa Rica to the wealthiest families of Costa Rica, all of them will be able to attend tuition and room and board free. But we need, we need your help to develop the tools. So we're asking you, because that's what I'm here. I'm raising money so that we can build that building. So we're asking you guys to be a part. You know, most of you probably can't write a $20,000 check. But you can do whatever God has equipped you to be able to do to help us. Beyond us, I want to pitch this again. Ask God what he wants you to do around the world this year. Because it's not just us in Costa Rica. It's all the missionaries that you support. It's all the ones that God wants you guys to support, to send. But we are so thankful for what you guys are doing. 
and for helping us to be effective in loving God, loving people, and making disciples. So I leave that as a challenge to you guys this morning. Keep it simple and keep focused on what God wants you to do. And we appreciate you guys so much. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. Amen. So uh, we are going to receive an offering for them. Obviously, we don't pass the thing, uh, but you can give online. You can scan the thing or you can uh, drop it in the back. But all the money that comes in for that is going to go to help uh, this Bible school. And it's equipping leaders. I, I think what a powerful thing that, you know, okay, we're doing that and it's going to help one student. But then guess what? There's going to be another student the next year and another student the next year. So it's something that continues uh, on. So our prayer is that whatever you put, God puts on your heart, drop it in the bucket, give online, however you do it, and we will make sure we get it. I, I hope that uh, as we're wrapping this uh, month of focusing on missions, this is not all we do about missions. This is really, God has called the church exactly as he, he said. And, you know, I, I reference back some of the others. Sometimes we get so isolated as a church, we think, oh, this is all there is. And uh, like, a, like he had said, we, ha we had a part to play in that. So did a bunch of other churches. But, you know, our missionaries that were in Ukraine, you guys had a part in getting that van and getting them there. And uh, we are making a difference around this world. Amen. When we look around and you think, oh, you know what? You know, there's so many people we need to reach. Yes, we need to continue to reach our county. I think that's so important. Uh, but let's not forget what we're already doing around the world. Amen? Amen. So I just want to pray a blessing over you guys. Lord, we thank you for uh, this time that we get to come together. Lord, uh, be in your name and your presence. And uh, Lord God, I thank you that, that as we learn and grow, Lord God, it is not all about us, but it's about you. Lord, it's about seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you told us to stay busy and to stay focused until you come again. And Lord, when you do, Lord God, that there will be a great celebration in heaven. Lord, not just that we made it, but Lord God, the ability and the, and the people that we have touched directly and indirectly, Lord God, it will be a celebration. And so, Lord, we thank you. Lord, I pray over the Cartwright family, Lord, as they uh, raise this money, Lord, that supernaturally, Lord, beyond their ability, they will see that money begin to come in. And Lord, we bless you, bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys.